Hello, and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is John Keeley, and this is the podcast extension of ROI Show 489. Our guest for today is Dr. Greg Brennica, staff scientist and cosmochemist at Lawrence Livermore National Lab in Livermore, California, who will be talking to us about his book, Impact, How Rocks from Space Led to Life, Culture, and Donkey Kong. The history buffs joining us today are Rick Sweet and Jay Swords. Jay, you get to start us off this time. Hi, Greg. I'm just curious, as a science fiction fan, I have spent most of my life reading stories about mining the moon or mining Mars or uh, gathering you know, up um, meteorites and, and asteroids in the asteroid belt and whatever. Um, is is that truly unrealistic fiction, or would it, if the technology existed, would it be worth our while to attempt to do those kinds of things? Uh, the technology exists. Uh, so just on a, a very small scale, uh, we have already started mining asteroids, uh, not for their raw materials, but for their information. Uh, so we've had a couple missions, and I'm, I'm part of one of the NASA missions that lands in about a year, uh, bringing back a chunk of an asteroid. Um, and, uh, you know, so the technology exists. It's just a matter of scaling it up to the point of, you know, getting the raw materials. Right now we're bringing it back just to, to learn more about you know, the, the asteroids history and our history as a solar system. Um, but, you know, we can do this and, and it's certainly possible. It's, it's just a matter of, of how, how big you want to go. Um, you know, is it, is it something we should be doing? You know, that's, that's a, maybe a, a different debate. Um, but, I, but I do say, you know, that, that we do have the technology to at least get started on this. So I, I wouldn't say it's science fiction at this point at all. Okay, Rick is calling dibs that what you bring back for his collection. I'm just saying that right now. Um, you want that, don't an you, iron, Rick? An iron meteorite. That would, that would okay, complete the whole set. Dibs. Greg, uh, uh, read your book and really enjoyed it. it uh, science is normally not funny or humorous, but you certainly, you certainly nailed it on this book. Just out of curiosity, what motivated you to... Uh, uh, put this uh, book together. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for saying that. I, I appreciate it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, and, and what motivated me was uh, I went to a, a San Francisco talk on, you know, one meteorite fall that kind of changed the thinking of academics about where meteorites were coming from. It, it was funny, not until, you know, the 1800s or so did, you know, right around the turn of the century into the 1800s did, you know, kind of learned academia figure out where meteorites are coming from. And so this was a scientific talk on one of those meteorite falls. And I went up to the, uh, the presenter afterwards. and I said, oh, that was really interesting. I really enjoyed that talk. Is there a book I could read that, you know, kind of goes more into this, you know, because that was a, a 20 minute talk and I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into it. And he just kind of laughed at me. He was like, no, nah, nobody's ever written about that, you know, and just kind of like, yeah, nobody's, nobody's going to, you know, waste their time doing that. So, <laughs> so then I got, got into it. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I started, uh, I started looking into it. And I thought, man, this is really fascinating stuff. You know, not just the, the scientific stuff that I had, you know, already at least started, starting studying, but you know, the historical uh, aspects of it. And I, I found it fascinating. So that's why I took up, uh, you know, writing the book. Okay, Greg, when we were talking about like standards of measurement, I teach a, a world studies class, and one of the sections that we study is natu national, uh, excuse me, natural disasters. And from my perspective, what I try and teach the kids, the two most um, um, 
devastating that probably impacted our world the most. And this is definitely open for debate or Mount Tambor and Mount Krakatoa when those volcanoes went off and how they changed the climate. They changed the scenery um, and had instant devastation for many places in the world. And then I conclude and go, but, you know, there are asteroids or other things from space that have hit our planet that have been more devastating than this. When you're trying to get your, um, when you're in your book, or let's say with, um, you're trying to, with uh, speaking to a crowd, how do you get people to understand how the impact of things from outer space uh, can many times just dwarf what is happening on this planet? Well, I think, you know, that's that's a great, that's a great uh, question. And I think, it's hard for people to wrap their minds around anything so large as a planetary scale, you know, uh, you know, impact. Uh, and, and if you say, okay, you, you know, you like looking at the moon, that moon was formed from basically the smoke that came from a meteorite that hit the earth. Uh, you know, so there was a, there's a very large impact, uh, you know, probably a meteorite the size of, about the size of Mars that, that hit earth. And the outcome of that was the moon. So obviously the the planet entirely flash melted. So, you know, and something something the size of a planet coming at you know 300 times the speed of a bullet, uh, you know, it it totally devastates everything. And uh, you know, it's impossible to really wrap your mind around that. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 a it's a lot of uh, destruction for sure. So Greg, I'm going to go back to something we talked about at the very beginning of the the radio show portion, which was this idea of organic material being brought to uh, to Earth through uh, meteorites. And again, my science fiction background, um, thanks to a a, um, a very young Michael Crichton, uh, we have the Andromeda strain, where a uh, a, what turns out to be, for at least a short period of time, a very dangerous um, virus is brought to Earth by a meteorite or, or by at least uh, contact with an uh, extraterrestrial object. How much of that sort of thing is science fiction and how much of that is also considered to be, at least have some grain of, of scientific truth? Could we really get something that proved to be um, dangerous on a molecular level from, um, from a meteorite today? I'm not going to say no, because uh, as soon as you say no, then you're always proven wrong. Um, there are reasons, there are physics reasons why it's hard for um, something that could harm humans to exist, uh, you know, being pelted by UV radiation, you know, cosmic, uh, cosmic radiation, things like that, you know, uh, you know. You can you can form molecules that are very complex in outer space, uh, inorganically, of course. You don't need any any life out there doing anything uh, to form these crazy molecules. Um, but for them to you know form something complicated enough to to harm Earth and then survive, uh, you know, unprotected, uh, you know, by Jupiter's magnetosphere and things like that, uh, are pretty difficult to imagine. But you know, when you've got things like the possibility of life on Mars. Um, you know, you can knock off a piece of Mars and send that to Earth, you know, and that doesn't take as long. So, you know, that's how we have chunks of Mars. You know, there's 300 Martian meteorites from from the surface of Mars. So, you know, those are those are things that are possible. Uh, and I won't say I won't say it's just science fiction. We certainly go through a lot of planetary protection protocols when we collect even lunar samples. Um, so, yeah, it's it's something that could be real. It's, you know, <laughs> It's a cool book, too, by the way. Yes, it is. As a matter of fact. It's real enough to be a bestseller. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. Rick. Absolutely. Rick, 
Greg, uh, uh, I love your business card. Uh, can you explain to me what a cosmochemist is? <laughs> no. <laughs> Just kidding. Thank you very much. Uh, Moving right along. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know uh, was that one in Donkey Kong? We were wondering that. No. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, cosmochemist is basically someone who studies uh, the cosmos to try to figure out what's going on in our own stel- uh, stellar system. So, you know, we look at, you know, pieces of other planets. Uh, we look at meteorites. We look at spectra from, you know, the the sun. We look at, you know, what's going on with, with our own stellar neighborhood to figure out, you know, how we formed, uh, how the solar system formed, basically. Okay. Um, a question about where do you think... I mean, this is definitely reaching out into the crystal ball. But um, with the technology you were kind of talking about before, like as an example, the possibility of getting uh, minerals from asteroids, um, what do you see our future um, pertaining to? I mean, we've got telescopes showing us things that were never seen before. And now, as you said, with the DART program, uh, as I told my kids, uh, less than 130 years ago, we couldn't get off the ground. And now we're doing this. Um, and again, you wouldn't be the first person to look into our crystal ball and be wrong. We do it every day, but if you were going to look into the ROI crystal ball, what do you sit there and see in the next 50 years coming out of this, these, um, this great information? Yeah. So, you know, the technology is moving at a rate that is just unthinkable. Um, and, and like you said, we couldn't get off the ground, you know, we could barely get off the ground 75 years ago. Um, you know, so now we're, we're shooting, uh, you know, rockets and hitting moving targets at incredible rates that are really, really far away. So, you know, what we're doing is, is incredibly cool. Uh, you know, it's got a high coolness factor, I guess. Uh, but it's also relevant if we're going to, you know, start exploring deep space. And, you know, we can't do all this from Earth. We've got to create moon bases to be able to launch off an easier to launch off planet or planetary body. Uh, you know, the gravity of Earth is, is quite difficult to get away from. Uh, the gravity of the moon is easier. Uh, if we're going to start doing deep space missions that include, you know, long, long times, uh, we're going to have to start launching off the moon or, or you know, kind of hop, hop over to Mars. Um, so, you know, I see in the next, uh, you know, couple decades, us, you know, establishing more permanent bases on the moon. Um, and I am hope I'm not wrong on that. I'm wrong on almost everything else, but uh, that'd be cool if we're able to do that. I, I have that. The, I have that same batting record with my wife of being wrong on most things. So I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Jay, quick question. Um, I'm just curious in terms of the, you talked about technology. One of the things I wonder is, is as we can look into space better and better, we're talking about relatively small objects oftentimes. Um, what kinds of things uh, how are we seeing in terms of, of asteroids and, and meteoroids and things like that on other planetary systems? Have, have we gotten to the point where we can start to see, I'm just, I'm thinking of a planet ending event that might be a large enough scale that you could see on a Hubble telescope or something like that. Has anything right. like that come along yet or are we just not quite there? We have been lucky enough, lucky enough uh, to witness a large impact on Jupiter. Um, so I believe it was the Shoemaker comet that ran into Jupiter. Ooh, I'm not. I'm going to miss the year, but it was a f- couple. I don't know, decade and a half ago, two decades ago, something like this. Uh, so you know, we saw the kind of damage that it did to a large gas- gaseous giant. Um, so that doesn't really even have a surface um, like Earth does. You know, we've got a, a very hard surface compared to you know. 
the gas giants. So, you know, something like that hitting Jupiter was was really eye-opening for a lot of people, realizing, holy cow, you know, there's a lot of stuff floating around space that can do some serious damage. And, you know, this is not something that's happening, you know, light years away. This was happening in Jupiter. I mean, that's a, that's a planet we can see with the naked eye occasionally. You know, so so that was that was pretty eye-opening for a lot of people. You know, these things happen and, and they're damaging. So, uh, you know, we haven't gotten to the point where we're seeing those in different stellar systems, but we've seen it in our own stellar system. And, you know, another thing is I think is really cool that, that gets overlooked is, you know, we've been driving around Mars uh, with a bunch of rovers, and we've found quite a few meteorites. Uh, I think we've found at least six to ten, um, something like this. So, so Rick, if you're looking to upgrade your collection, there we go. there's some there sitting on, on, the way. on my way. Yeah, there's, they found a couple iron meteorites on Mars, which I think is really cool. Jeez, it's a perfect Christmas gift. It <laughs> really is. Right. It is the season, right? Yes, right, exactly. Right, right. Uh, you know, Rick, last question. All right, Greg uh, mentioned uh, organic molecules forming uh, in the solar system and probably in the galaxy. How did, as a cosmochemist, how did organic molecules form in the in the uh, freezer like that? What yeah, so you know, we look at the the most common elements in in you know the universe. You've got you know hydrogen, carbon, nitrogen, you know a lot of oxygen, you know. So and then you look at what DNA is made from, and it's those same elements: phosphorus. You know, you've got all these these really light and and very common elements in every star. You know, every star we look at in the galaxy in the, in the universe uh, has a lot of those elements. And what happens is that basically these things are floating around in the deep parts of space, and they like to get together, um, so they end up combining. And then when they combine, there's an ice crystal associated with them usually because there's a lot of water in space. And then you hit it with UV radiation, which is totally ubiquitous in everywhere in the universe. Um, and it basically it, it mutates it. Uh, to a point where it forms larger and, and more complex molecules, and and that's something we can do in the lab. We see it happening in the you know in the interstellar medium, in between stars and in between planets. I mean, we see this stuff happening with with uh, with telescopes and instrumentation. So we we know it happens, and then we get the product of that in the form of meteorites. So you know they contain those things that basically end up, then end up uh, combining as as meteorites form. So it's a really weird sounding process, but but it's happening all the time. It's happening currently in all the deep. Uh, areas of space that are cold and have a little bit of material but no planets okay we would like to thank our noted guests for the 489th show dr greg brenica staff scientist and cosmochemist at lawrence livermore national lab in livermore california who talked to us about his book impact how rocks from space led to life culture and donkey kong the history buffs for today's show are rick sweet and jay swords ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. Friday nights on KALA Radio or on the web at TuneIn.com. If you're looking for older programs, you'll find them at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at Station KALA, St. Ambrose University.